Hello and welcome to The Lobe Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks as always for listening. As you probably already know, the podcast is available pretty much wherever you get your podcasts, which is really, really cool. Although there's not much I can do at the moment, I am sorry about the sound quality in some of the previous episodes. It will get better. It's just a case of saving up pennies for a better sound system. But until then, please bear with me. My guest for this episode is Reese Evans. Reese is a proud Swindonian who joined Chelsea as a 16-year-old and worked alongside some household names. Reese himself earned England schoolboys, youth and under-21 caps. After a couple of loan spells, he returned home to Swindon in 2003, where he became first-choice goalkeeper under manager Andy King and was a key member of that memorable 2003-04 campaign. Reese spent three seasons at Swindon before leaving after Town's relegation to League 2 in 2006. After that, he became something of a journeyman goalkeeper before starting to wind his career down in 2014 at the young age of 32. As always, we discuss his Swindon career in depth, plus there's plenty of talk of England, Chelsea and his post-Swindon career. My thanks to Reese for taking part. It's always appreciated. And it's time to sound the hooter for episode 5 of The Low Strangers. Enjoy. <laughs> first question then for me is Swindon Town did you support them? Yeah yeah massively so I mean obviously if you think about when I was when I was sort of um, a, a young kid that was the Glen Hoddle era um, I went to Wembley twice I went the first time just about remember that um, and then I remember going obviously I remember the second time more so um, against Leicester um, I remember one of my vivid memories is driving back on the M4 with my dad and, and um, I remember that the team bus was on the M4 and, and um, the striker chap Mitchell remember me him being sat on the roof of the coach going down the M4 and at that time as a kid thinking what a lunatic like you know but uh, yeah one of my abiding memories of that one to be fair Who were your heroes um, at that era? <laughs> it sounds a little bit obvious and uh, obviously Fraser um, you know that for him to come back into my life at a later date you know it was 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 great for me, you know. Hopefully, um, I'm not going to embarrass him if he ever listens to this. But um, you know, to, to, to be able to kind of um, be able to pick up the phones of Fraser now as, as, a, as an adult, you know, as a kid, you know, obviously the first goalkeeper ever he saw. The first winning game I ever saw was 
I think my dad took me to watch him play um, Swindon Watford because he wanted me to, to see David James because David James just stopped going to the first thing at Watford. You know, so my, one of my first footballing memories is, is, is that really, you know. So I think that's... I, I think I was at that one. That was um, was that Glenn Hoddle's first game in charge. Oh no idea. No, I, I, <laughs> unfortunately, my my memory of my own career is bad enough, let alone other stuff. But you know, those little things stick in your mind, and those being one of them, you know. But yeah, so obviously Fraser, having watched Fraser, Peter Shilton, uh, I had Peter Shilton books and videos, and I, you know, and obviously then you had the Schmeichel, the Schmeichel era, era. Um, and to be honest with you, he pretty much changed changed goalkeeping really. Well, I think that, that's fair to say. So, so you were always a goalkeeper then? Always a goalkeeper. That's why I always struggled to my, my kicking was never great because I think I, you know, I never ran around and played on pitch. I literally went in goal and stayed in goal, you know, and uh, never naturally learnt to strike a ball at a young age because I would just dive around like a like a loony like, you know. So um, yeah, just my dad played in goal, not to any sort of great level as such. I'm sure you won't mind me saying, but you know, like county level. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I mean, my first ever goalkeeper kit was the Liverpool Candy kit. Uh, the green Grubbler kits. I quite like Grubbler as well. He's a bit of a, bit of a, a character himself. And then the second kit I ever got was the Italian 90 Peter Shilton goalie kit. You know, I, I, you know, people say, oh, did you support us? I didn't really support in a day as such. Obviously, I went and watched Sweden a lot. I would, I would ride my bike to my auntie's house who was living near the county ground. I'd ride my bike there and then walk into the ground and, and obviously pay and watch games as a kid uh, on my own, you know, when I was sort of 12, 13. Um, but then at home, I just had videos of goalkeepers. I don't know. Years ago, they don't do them now. They used to do like 100 great saves of the 92, 93 season, that sort of thing. They did the goals and the saves. So I had like those videos. I had the Peter Shilton story on video. I had a Bruce Grobelar story VHS thing as well, you know. So yeah, I would just watch games and watch goalkeepers. And I do the same thing now, to be honest with you. You know, it's. Um, I don't really watch the game, I watch the goalkeepers, you know. You mentioned previously that you attended Liddy Shaw. It's been gone for almost 20 years now, mm. so there's a lot of people that won't know what Liddy Shaw is. Um, yeah, so obviously in, in my in my my new career now in, involved with, with portion that, people sort of say to me, well, what, what is it? And the way I describe it to this kind of generation is it's kind of like the Hogwarts footballers, really. It's like people can kind of grasp that a little bit, I think. But uh, So what it, what it was, the FA ran it, it was 16 boys out of every school year were selected, two goalkeepers and 14 outfield players. Uh, you would go to, the FA was kind of split into the regions. I guess it isn't that, so I don't know if it's not as much like this now, but split into regions. So I was the southwest region, and you go to like goalkeeping clinic things in the southwest, and then regional stuff, and then you'd kind of go from there. And as the process went on, you would then go to trial. So the trial was at, the first one was at Yeovil Town. If you went on from that, you went to then successive trials at Lillyshaw, which is up in the Midlands, probably the nearest town is Telford. I remember just going in, it was unbelievable because it was like the pitches were the best pitches I'd ever seen, you know, going from playing at Meadowcroft or Penhill, you know, and you're then going up to Lillyshaw and it's like a bowling green, you know, it was just, it was like unbelievable. I remember it at the time, you know, and so through that sort of year nine at school while going through that trial process, and then and got selected. I remember my parents coming up to the school. I got called out of a lesson because everybody at the school knew I was going for these trials. It was quite obviously a, a big thing at the time. There was a TV program on Sky One called My World at Their Feet, and I was going through this process that I was watching on the TV. So it was all like quite sort of surreal. And my parents being sat in the reception at school and just showing me this letter from the FA saying I've been selected. Uh, and so I don't think I even spoke to them. I just literally turned around and ran up down the corridor. 
to go and tell my mates, like, you know, got in, got in sort of thing, you know, and um, my parents still mention that today, like, I literally didn't say anything to her, I just, obviously was just over the moon, just ran, ran off down the corridor and left them sitting in reception and left home, so got packed up to the beginning of year 10, I then went to Liverpool, we lived there, um, parents would come up the weekends, we'd play matches on a Sunday against, like, a school of excellences or academies that they're called now, sort of the Liverpool, the Man United, the Leeds, all that area, and and then train every day uh, the rest of the time and go to a local sort of um, local school, bust them out every day. So there was, the, there was like the, the juniors and the seniors, so a total of 32 kids, first year obviously junior, and then year 11, you're in the senior group, uh, and you go like that. So, you know, it's like every kid, you think you're, you, you know, you think you're the bee's knees, don't you, at 14, but when you get drawn out of sleepy Swindon into like inner London, in, in with inner London and Manchester and Liverpool kids, you soon realise that you probably don't know as much as you think you do. Um, I don't really know what designer clothing was, but you obviously meet the London lads and the Manchester lads, and they're dripping in it, you know. And um, so that that was quite a baptism of fire. Who are you there with? So the, probably the most recognisable one would be Joe Cole. Um, so I roomed with Joe for the first year, and he was just quite simply the best footballer I've ever seen. Probably even to this day, you know, the things he could do were just incredible, you know, and, and a really nice guy. We, there's a group chat of the guys, well, WhatsApp group chat of the guys that I went to Liverpool with, the majority of them are in the group chat, and Joe's in there, and he's in America at the moment. There's other guys like Chris McCready, Peter Clark, the Admirals used to make a bit of a thing whenever we played Blackpool, and that's how, to jump forward a little bit, that's how the Blackpool move came about later on through Peter, so Peter Clark, uh, Stuart Parnley, we played for Middlesbrough. There's, there's, there's quite a few names in there. Some guys never even really made it to pro, but... Yeah, so we, we live together. Uh, yeah, uh, it's weird now because my son is now at the age where I was going off to Lillyshaw. I look at him and I think, Christ, you know, to me, he's very young to sort of live away from home and move away like that at that age is quite a big thing, really, I guess. You know, but at the time, you know, nobody would have stopped me because my parents recently asked me, you know, should we have should we have stopped you or should we have done more, you know, should we have let that happen so easily? I like that you never would have stopped me, but, you know, uh, you know, to have that opportunity, even at that age, you realise what a great thing it is, you know, and, uh, yeah, so, quite an interesting start to my life, really. You're playing in the schoolboys, um, you played in the 2-1 win over Germany at Wembley, which was in front of 39,000 people, and um, that's England's first win against them in a decade, certainly at home anyway, um, yeah. you're in the nil-nil draw, keep a clean sheet against Brazil, that's in front of 50,000 in 98, nowadays it's all about money, you hear a lot of um, fans get irate because somebody's not made a first team appearance for Manchester City is already on 20 grand plus, and you've already mentioned you thought you had made it at that stage was that the general feeling no, no I think just I, I don't think I thought I'd made it as such I, mm. I never I never felt that I was I was always very realistic and hard on myself and certainly whether that, that maybe not so much in a outwardly sense but certainly inwardly I never thought I'd crack this by, by a, a long stage you know mm. um, but yeah I mean one of the other games you would probably have seen is we played Germany in, in the Berlin Olympic Stadium mm. you know before they rebuilt it for the World Cup and there were 70,000 people there you know, and I think some people who have never experienced that will never, never get the feeling of what it's like to have your legs feel like absolute concrete, you know, and your feet feel like you're stuck in concrete because the, the whole occasion of it is just so massive, do you know what I mean, you know. So if you think I'd gone to Wembley a few years before watching Swindon beat Leicester in the playoffs and then fast forward to two or three, four years maybe, and I'm playing there myself. You know, it's just like just mind-boggling. Even thinking about it now, it just boggles my mind a little bit. You know. 
when you join Swindon, you reject, even though you've got a cap, you reject England under-21s to focus on winning that number one shirt with Swindon. Is that sort of decision a difficult thing to do? Is playing for England sometimes an inconvenience? Obviously, when you're being schooled, it's not so much because it's a part of your day-to-day. No. I don't think I ever got that. I was always exceptionally proud, you know what I mean? So, so proud to play for England. You know, literally, as I, as I sort of look to my left now, where I'm sat in my lounge, I... I've got my cabinet with my my England caps in it, you know, and um, I think when I've just recently moved house to actually have a proper look at those again for the first time in a while, it's easy to be critical. I'm, you know, it's for me and you know, to be critical of myself and what I did or didn't achieve, you know, and um, but ultimately I've got those fantastic things sitting in my cabinet and nobody will ever be able to take those away from me, do you know what I mean, regardless of whatever happened or happened. So to have those, you know, there's not many people who've got those in the world, do you know what I mean? I think it's always interesting when people come to your house who haven't been to your house before or sort of new in your life and uh, they see them and they, they actually see them and they're like blown away by them. You know, and it kind of then refreshes me to say, oh, actually, yeah, that's quite a big deal. Do you know what I mean? The thing was when I turned down the opportunity to go and play again when I just signed to swim, that was, that was, you know, that was the Andy King thing, to be honest with you. You know, and um, bear in mind at that stage, I was up against Chris Kirkland and Paul Robinson who were playing in the Premiership, and I'd been to plenty of other under twenty one get-togethers, um, and, and obviously wasn't involved because I was up against two guys who were playing in the Premiership at that time. So, you know, it, it was purely, it was turned down a junior guy and trained for a few days with the 21, which is not, not to, to trivialise it, but obviously at that point then, the, the more important thing was to, was to establish myself in the first team and not give Andy King any more excuses to, uh, to, to, to use again, I guess, you know what I mean? So. Well, that's really fired up the home crowd now and Swindon buzzing here. And because, again, rather uncertain with that cross and the shot almost comes to Mitchell. Another goal! Incredible! You leave Lillyshaw and you go and start an apprenticeship in 1998 time with Chelsea. Now you're a professional, you're in a professional football setup as opposed to an educational one. Was there much difference? Sort of real world to a certain extent, and walking into that situation, they just appointed a brand new youth team manager, a guy called Jim Duffy, who was a very um, probably your, your, your archetypal sort of Scott, really. You know, you know, the, 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 the sort of Scottish hard man, you know, sort of centre half, big headed uh, guy, you know, who didn't really take any prisoners. So, you know, me turning up from Lillyshaw and this, that, and the other, you know, um, it, it was it was it was interesting anyway. But I mean, the great thing from a goalkeeper point of view, that outfield players don't always get is that. You know, you go and train at well, that state you did. Now it's different because you've got so many youth goalkeepers and a youth goalkeeper coach. Whereas then it was the goalkeeper coach and the goalkeepers. You know, so I was involved with Dimitri Karin, Ed DeHoy, Kevin Hitchcock, uh, and me and the other youth team goalkeeper. You know, so that was fantastic from that point of view. But again, quite an overwhelming situation. And you know, I always mention whenever people talk to me, Ed DeHoy, the Dutch international goalkeeper, was well, just an absolute gent and a diamond of a man. You know, he, he looked after me. You know, really kind of took me under his wing and uh, somebody I'd always be very so grateful to for for the help and, 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 and mentoring he gave me, you know, um, at a young age, you know, fantastic one, really nice guy. Yeah, just to, again, give those listening an idea of who you're training with and who you're in direct op- uh, opposition with, really, it's Dimitri Karin, Kevin Hitchcock, Carlo Cudicini, Ed De Hoy, and Mark Bosnich. You've also got um, Lenny Pidgeley uh, below you in the age groups as well. Is there a WhatsApp group for your youth team and who's who's in that group? It's funny, really. I think from age group intake that I was at, uh, at Chelsea, I think I was the only one, I think, to go on and actually play a professional game. You know, Chelsea weren't the team they are now 
I mean, if you fast forward four or five years from that point in 2000, just after I left, I, I missed Abramovich by about a month. So that, that to give you an idea, Chelsea are on the up at that point, but they certainly weren't what they are now. I mean, the other thing that sometimes grates me, and I'm sitting there, is that you think about the equivalent of me now. So if I was an England international at Chelsea now, I'd probably be on thousands and thousands of pounds a week then I certainly wasn't you know so the game's changed massively in that time frame you know no there's very few people from Chelsea well, if anybody that I still have any contact with in all honesty no unfortunately not no and who are doing your day-to-day sessions it sounds like you are training with the first team goalkeepers yeah, yeah? so it was Eddie Nitschewski uh, now Eddie Nitschewski was a Chelsea goalkeeper himself had to retire young uh, when cruciate ligament injuries were obviously much more serious than, than they are now you know obviously it was a, it was a career and in the eight, you know, in the eighties, probably. Uh, so he was the goalkeeper coach. Obviously, you had Kevin Hitchcock who'd been there a long time. So he was like kind of a, a kind of assistant coach in some ways. Quite an abrasive guy. Got on well with him, you know, to a point. But again, quite an abrasive sort of East London type character, like you know. Mm-hmm. And then latterly, you then have Yali sacked and Ranieri began, which for me was a massive turning point in my time at Chelsea I'd, I'd found out subsequently there was apparently there was an 18 month plan in place for me at Chelsea under Viali to develop me and, and push me on um, sadly that never came to fruition because he, he left but then Ranieri turned up with this Italian goalkeeper coach who was just well he and I just didn't get on um, he came in and, and tried to undo everything I'd ever been ever been taught so obviously through we talked before about the upbringing I'd had at Lillishaw and I'd worked with some of the best goalkeeper coaches in the country obviously with the FA you had a guy called Martin Thomas uh, Paul Barron who was the Aston Villa goalkeeper coach at the time Ray Clements would come in once a week you know and I've got this Italian guy rock up barely speaks English telling me that everything I do and every technique I employ is the incorrect one uh, and yeah that, that that didn't really go well at all to be honest with you you know and I had to learn Italian just to tell him where to go in, in no uncertain terms which probably in the grand scheme of things wasn't the wisest thing to do but I, I, I you know I, I, it's a nightmare really situation and couldn't wait to get out alone to get away from him do you know what I mean because my goalkeeping was going backwards under his sort of tutelage and you know but at the same time that's when Cudicini came to, to, to his peak and, and, and um, you know I suppose it's like me going to Italy and taking English goalkeeper coach me and the Italian kids there be going what's this all about you know whereas it was in the reverse at Chelsea and it, it, it just had a detrimental effect on, 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 on me unfortunately I looked up a quite a bit on your um, reserve career at Chelsea because you're playing quite a few games a couple of seasons and then you sort of dip in a lot of the reason you, you're not playing in the, the, the under 23s or the 21s as it would be now is because the senior players are dropping down and playing Bosnich uh, Kudicini etc is that frustrating for a junior footballer at that stage? Um, it didn't happen that much in fairness it only happened occasionally um, I did play a lot of games. I, sometimes I'd be playing on a Saturday and a Monday. So the Saturday and the youth team when I was still young enough to do that. And then again on the Monday night in the reserves, which was typically when they were played. I, majority of the time it was me that played. It was only occasionally when those guys would come in and have a game. And then I was out on loan. You know, so I was out on loan at Bristol Rose initially. Then Holloway took me again the, I think the following season, was it, to QPR, which was a great experience. That's right, first. That's where I first meet Fraser Digby, and then um, and then later on, but I was injured at that point as well, you know. So um, it didn't happen that much, and it, but you know they, they didn't always want to risk some of the first team players playing in the reserve games anyway. So no, it wasn't for me. It wasn't a particular strength thing because it very rarely happened. You could put Digby and Buffon in the same room. I know who I'm talking to first. I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll talk to Buffon as well, but you know yeah, the sure. first person I'm going to. 
O'Sullivan. Finney at target in the penalty area. He's found the young Finney. It's 2-0. Two goals in a minute. You can only begin to think the thoughts that are going through the head of Harford and Flowers. So 2003, you joined Swindon um, on a free transfer, but there's lots of interest for you. How close were you to moving some to those, shall we say, bigger clubs? Um, yeah, probably pretty close. I mean, I went and met Sam Allardyce at Manchester Airport and had quite a long discussion with him about him signing there. I mean, that was the, that was the most financially rewarding option. You know, thousands of pounds a week was on the table. Um, I just wasn't sure the goalkeeper coach he had at the time uh, was somebody that I was being kind of warmed off of by these England goalkeeper coaches I worked with at various England age groups obviously I was asking their opinion and advice all the way through that process of that summer and they were kind of warning me off of it a little bit I went and met Glenn Roder at uh, West Ham but David James was the number one at that point so you think well I actually am and you know what I was what the decision came down to was I could get one of these clubs for three years potentially earn very very good money but still be in a position where I've never played a first-team game, you know. So do I want to do that, or do I want to go and play week in and week out? And the advice I was being also, look, you know, if you're good enough, you will, you know, the cream rises to the top and all that sort of, those kind of things were being said to me. You know, so get the games on your belt, play week in and week out, uh, and then hopefully you then get a move back up a level and, and, and kick back on again sort of thing, like, you know. And I thought that sounded like quite sound advice, much to the much to the disappointment of people like my agents and, and all this sort of thing, you know, are obviously eyeing up these big moves for me, I guess. And then, then literally the phone call came from Fraser Dibby and Fraser rang me and said, how are you, blah, 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 how would you feel about signing for Swindon? I was like, okay, like, I obviously gave it a bit of thought and he said, look, Mark Devlin, the chief exec here, has asked me to give you a call. How do you feel about it? So the conversation, I can't remember now, but I think obviously there were several conversations over a few days and maybe even longer than that. And after much thinking about it, I thought, well, it's my hometown club. I can move home. I can be surrounded by my family. Bearing in mind, I've lived away from home since I was 14. I can move back to Swindon. I can be surrounded by people that I know and care about. And my ex-wife is due to give birth later that year. And we're going to have to support the family around us when, when our baby's born sort of thing. You know, so it all kind of, kind of came together and and it kind of just became the obvious choice like you know and um and, and then that's what that's what happened you arrive at the same time as swindon go through quite a nice little um, period of making pretty decent signings you got sammy Igo, brian howard who i think was with you briefly at yeah, chelsea sorry, brian yeah so brian had come into chelsea but i played with him for like various england age groups as well so brian was, was somebody i i, I knew mm. And you've got Andy Nicholas as Fringe, uh, Grant Smith as Fringe, Tommy Mooney. But you're a fan, so you know what Swindon's history is like. We have a bad financial history. What, did that play on your mind at all? Or did you think no? Well, when I, when I went up, not really. We should have done. We should have <laughs> fast forward a bit. But no, I mean the, 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 the two, the two. I mean, the, the biggest mistake that I learned was that I never spoke to Andy King. I never spoke to Andy King until the day I rocked up. Mm. Um, which proved to be a problem going forward. We never had a conversation, never spoke to the guy. It was all done through Mark Devlin. Mm. Uh, and initially I signed for literally peanuts, and I mean peanuts, hundreds of pounds a week. Mm. And I don't mean, you know, I know people obviously earn that, but in terms of football world, sure. peanuts. And the view was if I played X amount of games, the money would go to X. If I played another set amount of games, it went to a higher amount, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it... it the, the money side of it ne- nobody ever said to me oh by the way you know the, you know, I, it never ever crossed my mind for me it was all about playing on that county ground pitch and playing for my, the team I'd watched as a kid 
I could see the stadium from my bedroom window when the games were being played at night, you know, from my mum and dad's house, you know. So I think I, I, I think that may seem like silly little things, but I think in that kind of context, you know, um, there's not many there's not many footballers who get a chance to play for the hometown club. I think that's that's probably what I'm trying to say. You know? yeah. Andy King then. So what was his attitude towards goalkeepers? Now, I think whether I whether we go on to talk about Andy King, I should say that obviously you know my relationship with Andy King was a lot better later in my footballing career when I came across him and saw him. You know, and it was all it was always very nice, and he even hugged me a couple of times, which um, always took me aback a little bit. So and, and, uh, you know, you don't want to speak ill of the dead, of course. and that's a very sad situation. But like me and Andy King never really got on when I was at Swindon. You know, um, I'll give you a couple of examples just to kind of put it into context for you. So. I, the day I signed, I think we were playing a pre-season friendly that night against somebody, and I went straight into the, the ground, into the changing room and played. I walked in and got ushered into his office, and he sat in there with Mick Harford. And um, obviously most people know Mick Harford is quite an intimidating character uh, to, to anybody, let alone a, a 21-year-old without a great deal of experience. It, 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 looking back at now, it's funny, at the time it was a bit sort of strange, like, you know, but sort of walking there, blah, 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 I've heard this, I've heard that. I've just spoken to Ray Clements. He's not sure he'll ever play for England, but we'll see how we go. And that was like one of the first things he ever said to me. And it was like, oh, okay, right, all right, fair enough. And um, I think it became very clear early on that the fact, he, I, I think Mark Devlin and Fraser have gone to look, we could probably get Reece Evans here, you know, current England and 21 goalkeeper. And he's got, and he's got, knowing King and how he kind of talked and how he was, he's probably like, yeah, fine whatever as if to say yeah go on do what you got to do but you got no chance sort of thing I think that's probably how he kind of would have thought about it and then they got me and he's had nothing to do with it mm. I've been kind of supplied to him sort of thing you know so I think that immediately probably got his back up a little bit because he's had nothing to do with it and it wasn't a mistake I ever made again I always made sure I met the manager before I signed for the club you know what I mean because it was a big lesson for me and it was kind of like almost he had to kind of prove a point about that to the wider public and within the club that he was the manager and he decided to play which is obviously his right as the manager but it always felt like from the get-go I was on the back foot and on the defence massively and like I, I was looking through a scrapbook the other night and my son who's down with me at the moment because you forget stuff and you sort of read some of my interviews I did and that you know and you think oh god like you know but I think that was the mindset that I was on the defensive and kind of like defending myself and almost kind of promoting myself in a way because I had Andy King sort of like saying oh well, yeah I've got Bart Grimmie you know and all this sort of thing but internally in, in, within the team and within the setup was quite sort of negative towards me well that's certainly how it felt to me anyway you know so we never really got off on the, on, on a good foot and it never really recovered from that point onwards unfortunately I don't think in my time at, at Swindon with him do you think he, based on what you said, do you think he started Bart Grimmick to start with as like a protest or as to stamp his authority? Well, I mean, I can't remember how we were trained at the time, but yeah, possibly, I think there would have been an element of that. And, and, and Bart, again, I should say, Bart was great with me. Bart was fantastic. Another Dutch chap who was a nice fellow, really nice guy, never had any issue with me, never had a crossword or nothing. I always got really well with Bart, you know. Um, and it was a quite difficult situation for him as well, do you know what I mean? So, um, and it was probably not something I'd really given that much thought to before I turned up, being fairly wet behind the ears at that stage, I guess, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, it was just it was just a funny situation, I think, you know, and um, Kingy being Kingy, he, if you look back, he never never missed an opportunity to have a pop at me at any stage, like, you know, and that was then, and me being me and obviously being much younger then and, and 
certainly very fasty would, would just give as good as I got sort of thing you know and probably as a, as a more mature adult now I probably would have just yeah yeah whatever like do you know what I mean and just kind of get on with it you know whereas back then I would always be looking to chip back a little bit which was with the type of character King he was was probably the wrong thing to do really you know so. Kelly is only a couple of yards away but Digby manages to push it one-handed onto the bar back at some of the um, sort of squad photos from that era and a little bit before and I noticed there's no goalkeeper, specialist goalkeeping coaches in any of the team photos until Andy Beasley after you leave in 2006 who yeah. looked after the goalkeepers back then? Well that, that, that this, so this, this ties into the whole team thing as well it's like when they were looking to sign me when the talks were going on I said well look I'll sign but Fraser Digby has to be the goalkeeper coach. And Fraser at the time, if you remember, was like the marketing guy at Swindon, right? You know, that's where he was doing all the corporate stuff and this sort of thing, which is a great role for him because of his standing within the town and who he is, was probably a perfect thing, you know. Fraser isn't, and you probably need to speak to Fraser, but I don't think Fraser is, it's not something he's kind of hankered after. He did it. I don't think he really wanted to be a coach. It wasn't something I don't think particularly interested in. And he kind of, did, I, I think he did it for me in some ways. And he's great here, and he should do more of it. And how he's not involved with Swindon now is, is a joke, really. But he was great for me. So, but then you can imagine, obviously, King, King's got me rocking up, telling him who, the goal, who I want to be the goalkeeper coach. And I think what he later said to me, actually, King said to me, was that he'd been kind of warned, warned off about Fraser, or somebody had sort of, you know, to keep Fraser at arm's length, I guess because of his standing within the club. But Fraser, you know, that was totally the wrong thing. And I think King learned that, that Fraser, you know, is Fraser. Um, so he's got me rocking up and he's now been given a goalkeeper coach who he's had nothing to do with do you know what I mean you know, he's not too sure about either person uh, uh, and it's like you know gets his back up straight away sort of thing you know so um, yeah Fraser was the goalkeeper coach and he was he was great for me you know I had a lot you know a lot of technical coaching but had Fraser there to talk to and talk things through and, and say what what do you think of that what do you think of this was brilliant uh, fantastic, you know. It, it, it's a period that I really look back on with, with a lot of affection, and, and probably if I'd have known what I know now, I probably would have treasured it and appreciated it a lot more at the time than, than I did anyway, you know. You were quite defensive of goalkeepers, especially protecting yourself after reading negativity within match point um, within match reports. Recently, I saw some negative comments about Lawrence Vigaru after a goal went under his legs, and mm. it was interesting to me because one, there was nothing he could have done about it, and two, it was a defensive error that led to the opportunity in the first place. Defensive errors can be collective, but goalkeeper errors are pinpointed and it's directly at you, and it doesn't take into consideration the move because of social media now, especially. I know it's more and more that there's an alliance between goalkeepers are you treated differently within football than the rest of them uh yeah i think you are i mean i always say this you're you're an in, you're an individual with within a team you know you are you know the, 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 and this is the thing that always used to get my back up when i was playing and pre-season especially you know you, the managers who, who get you to run run with the team i'd be like why am i running why am i running the team you know i used to get quite animated about this you know the furthest I run in the football match is 20 yards, you know, from the goal line to the edge of the area, if that. Goalkeeping fitness is very specific. And I've, heard, I've even had a goalkeeper, a particular goalkeeper coach, who I don't particularly rate, publicly comment that he's fine about character. Well, no, you don't. You, you know, whether I can run and keep up with outfield players for once a year or one month of the year doesn't tell you anything about my character. It tells you not whether I can naturally run. Now, I can't naturally run. 
talking about character as a goalkeeper is when you're 1-0 up on a Wednesday night when the wind's blowing down the camera ground and the corner comes in have you got the, the, the necessary uh, mental attitude and, and, and the resilience to come and catch that cross and take all the pressure off your team that's when you find out about character not when you're running up and around the, 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 the training ground with the outfield lads you know what I mean you know like this kind of generalisation and kind of goalkeeping kind of managers that come out just really get on my nerves again and you and you get this whole the goalkeeper union thing I don't get that either you know that may that will probably be very controversial for some people but you know there's there's I think there's a mutual respect and you respect anybody who's, who's got the the, the uh, conviction and you know hard working kind of attitude to be a goalkeeper but ultimately you know there's only one person who can play now you can be supportive of that but GK union I'm, I'm not quite sure about that one to be honest with you I think you know there has to be a mutual respect and we need to you know stick up for one another because not many people will do that but goalkeeper union I'm not sure about that one to be honest with you personally Let's talk about the first season because it's by far the best season that we have um, during your time there. Um, you make your debut in the League Cup at South End, but you don't make your, your league debut um, until a 2-2 draw uh, against Blackpool. You get good reviews. We then go on a good run. It's not until Bristol City away that uh, in early October that you're in a losing side for Swindon. And there's also the small matter of that game at Elland Road. You're a late sub after Bart gets sent off. Oh, that must have been annoying. Well, even now, you know, <laughs> I'll get people sort of, you know, people that I'm, I, I, you know, I start working with or whatever, or I'm new contacts or new people in my life. Well, um, you get talking, they go, oh, oh, are you the guy that was in goal when Paul? Yeah, that, yeah, that was me. Yeah. So um, that obviously will then get looped around and sent around an office or whatever, like you know, and uh, yeah, hilarious. But um, yeah, I mean, that was a surreal night again. I remember Kingy on the touchline, you know, you, you could sort of see how his life was going to end in some sort of heart-related thing, you know, just, it was just like shouting and bawling from the touchline and, and, you know, getting really animated and that, you know, and, um, yeah, really surreal one. You know, you, 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 we came so close that season to achieving really, really amazing things, you know, and it was kind of that whole if-only and what-if type stuff, you know, it was uh, quite incredible, really, when you look back at it. In terms of the... The, the, the setup and, and probably the budget of the club and the team at that time. What Kingy was great at was identifying talent, you know, and bringing players in. You look at some of the players that he brought in in his time there, and especially in that first season, you know, it's fantastic, absolutely brilliant. And getting people in and being able to kind of encourage people to come and sign for Sweden was definitely a massive strength of his, without a doubt. And of course, James Milner is one of those players early on. Yeah, exactly. It was funny enough, I was only talking about that on uh, Monday night. I had some uh, a couple of guys that I worked with came around. We watched um, the Liverpool game and talked about Milner. I said, yeah, you won't believe it, you know. But he, he came on over Swindon when I was there, you know. And great guy. I mean, you know, very kind of kept himself to himself and that, you know. But yeah. I think you can always see when, when people are, are, are going to achieve, you know, just in their general demeanour and their attitude about things. You know, they've got that kind of single-mindedness, which I think you need to kind of achieve at that sort of level really you know and fair play to the guy really Playoffs aside what were your highlights from that season? I think just I think just just, just playing for Swindon do you know what I mean and just I, I, I can't obviously most people would never have the opportunity to experience this but you know when, you, when you've seen something so many times it's like you watch a film maybe you know and you see like New York or Las Vegas or something like that and when you find yourself there as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an adult maybe and, you, and it's how you imagined it would be and how you've seen it from a different sort of viewpoint and when you're in the middle of it it's so surreal like you know what I mean you kind of can't quite believe it and it was very much like that for me and to be able to have you know family 
up in the stand watching that and obviously then my son came along uh, you know in that first season as well you know so there's lots of nice things and great things that happen and I felt like I sort of started quite well and, and played well and and just that whole kind of package, you know. I think the only thing that could have topped it would be if we if we'd have won that Brighton game and, and, and progressed from there. You know, it was just um, I think just just a, just quite a, a nice time all round, really. You know? And your relationship with the the rest of the squad was good during that time. It seemed like a quite a, a jovial yeah, squad. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I I, I I was always very much quite quite you know I, I was quite serious about what I did. You know, and probably took myself quite seriously and approached it from quite a serious point of view, you know, and it was like, that was everything to me, do you know what I mean? You know, so that probably, in some ways, made people look at me a bit odd, like, you know, I was a bit, bit, bit strange, maybe, in the sense that, you know, I, I was so focused and single-minded about what I wanted to do, that was probably to the detriment of any kind of, you know, involvement in the team. But what you have to remember as well during that period was you had, like, with Kingy as well, which I don't think helped me, was that, you know, Kingy was... Was playing cards with the lads on the coach, you know what I mean? And, and it was get to the hotel right to get the cards going, to get the cards out. And I wasn't that person, you know. It wasn't about that for me. And I think that then put me on the periphery of it a little bit. Obviously, I listened to uh, Matt Hayward um, when he spoke to you a couple of weeks ago. I listened to that, which was really interesting. It reminded me of stuff I'd forgotten about. But Matt was within that group, you know. He played cards with Kingy, so Kingy would have always, always had quite a different relationship with those guys to the ones who did play cards and weren't involved in that, you know. So that always made me feel like I was on the periphery a little bit, but I didn't really care to be quite honest with you. It didn't bother me in the slightest because I was just there because I wanted to succeed because I had a, you know, a bigger ambition and wanted to kind of progress and, 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 and kick on. Do you know what I mean? So come in, do my training, work hard, train hard, go on. You know, and that was kind of the way I approached it. And I think maybe if I hadn't come from Swindon, I didn't have any people that I knew in the area or friends within the area, then probably I would have leaned on the team a little bit more on my teammates. But I didn't really need to do that because I was in my hometown. Uh, do you know what I mean? So that probably played into that a little bit. Tango unbeaten from late December to oh, mid-March, but the run is ended in a farcical manner, uh, thanks to Mickey Evans's quick free kick. Um, I felt so sorry for you at that moment because it was just it was just reactions, wasn't it? Well, it's funny because I didn't realise I'd, I'd cocked it up until afterwards in the changing room. It didn't even occur to me. Um, you look back now, but obviously it's like anything. I think people who have never been in those kind of situations find it hard to believe your brain doesn't work yeah. like it normally does the rest of the time. Do you know what I mean? You know, you're, you'll do things that you can't explain that afterwards when you're in a, in a sane, controlled environment. For those who can't remember, um, yeah. it's, a, it's an indirect free kick which Mickey Evans, using his experience, um, takes quickly. And if you leave it and it goes in, it doesn't count because it's indirect. Yeah. But because yeah. you, you see a ball going towards the goal, you doing your thing of what you're paid to do is to try and stop it. And because yeah. you make that contact, not only does the goal count, but it goes down as an own goal as well. And it, 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 I just remember that and just being like, oh, for crying out loud. Not at uh, you, it was just... Yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't realise that until Kingy started, as he would do, going for me in the change room. Like, you know, I was like... It, it, it was one of those like, oh yeah, damn, if I'd have left that, but you, uh, I, I, I defy any goalkeeper, you know, that you know, to say, what do you think you'd got, have gone for it, like, do you know what I mean, you know, unless you're really, really on the ball, maybe I should have been more on the ball with it, um, a bit more aware, but yeah, uh, literally till after the game, I didn't even clock, I didn't even realise what I'd done, in terms of that, if I hadn't touched it, it wouldn't have counted, but yeah, fair play to him, he was obviously pretty sharp on it, and I think it was me and Matt actually, wasn't it? We kind of got it mixed up between ourselves and he toe poked it to me. And, yeah, so um, yeah, not our finest hour to be fair. 
still poor etiquette as far as I'm concerned. Um, despite that run, um, I don't, myself, I only truly start believing that we might be onto something that season after the back-to-back 3-0 wins against Luton and Wickham. And then we lose typically to, to Oldham at home who are mid-table. Does a football club feel that pressure when the promotion chases on? And how does King try and ease it if there is? <laughs> yes, being Kingy really, like, you know, don't get me wrong, it probably sounds like I'm being quite, you know, he, he's a great guy, do you know what I mean? If I, I think if I'd have been, a, the sign had occurred in a different way, it probably would have been a different dynamic within our relationship, you know, but around the track, the training ground, and that, he, was, he was great, you know, I remember him joining in with games, he couldn't, if his gout allowed him to, he'd join in with the little games at the end, and he loved it. You know, that was when he was in his element. And I can remember one day, I don't know if it was somebody done something, and his, and his, his crown fell out. So he's playing, something happened, and the ball's caught him in the fuss, something or other. And his tooth's fallen out on the training pitch. So we have to halt training and try and find his tooth, and he's carrying on with his big gap in his teeth like some sort of like pirate. And, um, you know, and, and, he, and he loved it, like, you know, and, and he... I think really being the manager was almost an inconvenience to him in some way. He just wanted to be one of the boys. And, you know, he, the whole gaffy love, the gaffer thing, and, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, and then, uh, I think if you, if you were in his kind of favourites, we'd be great. Do you know what I mean? You know, you, you probably would have, you know, had a whale of time. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and he was a great footballer. You could see it even when he joined in. He couldn't really move as such, but the touches he had and to what he could do. You know, you, you have to respect that. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's just, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I was fairly young, obviously, as well. So the pressure on it wasn't really something I was that aware of. You know, I think that the buzz around the stadium and everything was really positive. And we had a, we had a decent group of guys as well, you know. So, um, no, my abiding memory, I think, I think we played Huddersfield. I think we played Huddersfield the last game before the playoffs, not the last game of the normal season. And I remember just playing like... Um, just kicking it up to Paul Rehubka and then kicking it back to me and that was literally how it went on for the last 10 minutes they stopped chasing it we stopped chasing it and we, me and him were just kicking it to one another from one 18 yard box to the other all knowing that we, we'd done enough to get into the fight if I remember rightly that's how I think it played there was, I think Hartlepool was the one where both teams had to draw to get to get through okay, and, maybe that's right and, and, you know, it was like a blue and white stripe yeah I think it, I think uh, it's literally, it was like yeah mad really but um, yeah pressure wise no I, I, I don't remember that that isn't, that isn't a memory of I, I've got of it do you know what I mean mm. there probably was without a doubt you know and, mm. um, but um, not something that's just with me to be honest with you yeah. other games before the playoffs Bristol City 1-1 Rory Fallon scored that goal Lee Miller misses a last gasp effort which if it, go, it should have gone in that's one of the rare matches, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday are there as well, but it's one of the rare matches where the Stratton Bank is full of away fans. How is it for a goalkeeper to focus when they're sort of shouting all sorts of things at you? Well, you've got to worry more when it's your own fans, to be fair. But um, no, I think for me, what I learned as, as my career went on and sort of, you know, it's not going how you want it to and, and you're playing at sort of crappier and crappier grounds is that the more people are there, for me anyway, the more people that are there, the more atmosphere, the more, you know, the, 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 be- the, 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 the more it drew out of me as an individual, you know. So as, as much as that created kind of a nervousness and, a, and uh, all that, I think um, ultimately it was, a, it was a positive thing for me. As a fan in the town end, I really enjoy it when the opposition goalkeeper hears the comment and turns around and laughs. Because... Yeah, I mean, I think that was the one thing I learned as I got, as I got older was... Um, was just trying to embrace it, like, do you know what I mean, you know, and although, uh, although a couple of times when I came back as a player against the town end, 
when I did laugh, they didn't seem to like that quite so much. So uh, maybe that was uh, maybe that was an exclusive thing elsewhere. Not when it's your old home, uh, old team, perhaps. But uh, yeah, I think you know you, you learn as you get older. Kind of um, if you give them what you want and react to it, then you kind of let them win, aren't you? But if you can sort of kind of wind them up and have a bit of banter back, then uh, I think it always sort of works much better. Playoffs, they're rubbish, aren't they? Well, it's just incredible, isn't it? You know, you look back at it now. I mean, my again, my abiding memory is that you know we, we get there and it's actually like a baking hot day. They were even watering the pitch. I remember them watering that pitch, and you know, family up in that sort of makeshift stand, wearing short sleeves, t-shirts, and everything. You know, did you actually go to the game yourself? Or not? <laughs> no, I wasn't in the area at the time, but I watched no, it on no. Sky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that you couldn't the the <laughs> The, the, the contrast in weather in the space of an hour mm. just absolutely ridiculous. You just turned into like this monsoon, and the pitch just disintegrated. Uh, and it was like schoolboy stuff in terms of like you know an old school pitch or something, you know. And you know, a game of that magnitude and importance was was kind of um, reduced to a level of, 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 a, of a swamp, really. In some ways, I remember thinking Sarah's teeth kicked out, and yeah, nuts. And I, and again, you know, you talk about things not being aware of in the game, you know. My, I just remember scrambling into the net, trying to get to that header, you know, and ended up in a heap in the corner of the net. And, I, and, and until I was sat in the hotel afterwards, we were all sat as a group of players, just sat there, you know, kind of trying to work out what had gone wrong. And my mate rang me, and he's going, "Yeah, that Tommy Mooney, this, that, and the other." And Tommy was literally sat opposite me, so I'm trying to turn the volume on my phone down. <laughs> and he's going, "He let him run," and I, I, I ain't even aware that happened. When you watch the video back, obviously Tommy's kind of not gone with him he's carried on and then you see him sort of just collect the glass in head and you think oh you know it's that old thing isn't it that what if you know and uh, you know to set up a, a final against uh, Bristol City at the Millennium would have been something else I think you know and uh, just a real shame that we didn't get to live out that uh, that uh, that reality unfortunately I think I was the same regarding Tommy Mooney I, I told Matt Hayward the same and um, I think nine times out of ten it's fine. I mean, at the time of recording, Swindon have just recently uh, played Crawley and conceded a, last, well, a 99th minute penalty. And if Mark Richards just hoofs it, it's over. The game is done and we survive. Interesting you. So you, you're obviously doing a good job because Premiership sides are keeping an eye on you. I think even Spurs registered some interest. Did you know about that at the time? No, I didn't know anything about that. I mean, I know there was talk about this, that and the other, but it wasn't something I was personally aware of and probably Kingy being Kingy probably wouldn't have told me anyway so um, you know because I think he probably thought I had a big enough head as it was let alone inflate it anymore so uh, no it wasn't something I was aware of and it certainly wasn't something I was aware of when I then tried to ask for a pay rise at the end of the second second season and he, I remember Kingy actually saying to me yeah well I've never had anybody call me about it so you can do one shall we say in probably more expletive language you ain't, <laughs> you ain't getting any more money sort of thing so I, yeah I just can't I just can't believe that if you're a third tier football club and, and a team the size of Tottenham Hotspur comes in for you if they never did or they just wanted to have a conversation then yeah. they should just be like of course we'll sort out a fee go and talk but yeah, like I, 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 I'm not sure they ever did they may have been I don't know if it was ever serious I think if it had been to that stage then, then you probably might have seen something happen but yeah no not that I'm aware of anyway it's 3-0 and it's Alan Reeves 
Okay, so season ends, Bargrimmick leaves and is replaced by Cheltenham goalkeeper Steve Book. Um, you go down to Devon for a little pre-season tour. We see pictures of Rory <laughs> Fallon on the rocks with his acoustic guitar. Yeah, but you know why that was? is because all the others were playing golf with Kingy. <laughs> so you and Miguel Ramsey. Who plays golf? Okay, great, we're going to golf then, boys. Well, careful what the rest was doing. Oh, you can just hang around for the rest of the day. So we literally had to kill time. I think it was like... Yeah, there's pictures in there. There's that picture of us sat on the rock, yeah. Rory with his guitar out, with us, Dick, Physio Dick, and and Rog, the kit man, like just just sat around like a bunch of numpties, like you know, where the rest of the boys were playing golf. Um, so I'm sure, like Matt, and I thought it was a great preseason. I thought it was pretty crap to be honest with you, like you know. So uh, yeah, but that's 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 typical of that period to be honest with you, like you know, it's. Uh, the golf boys and the card boys and everybody else, basically. So that doesn't bode well, surely, for, as a team thing. No, it's um... no, no, I, well. I think I think the thing was, I think <clears throat> it, it, it did it bother me. I mean, it annoyed me because I sat around, like, sat around, not doing a lot. But it, it, it was just, I think people started keen. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's kind of like it was kind of accepted. Like, you know, it's like okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think it had a detrimental effect on the team as such by by any stretch. But you probably look at it now as a modern coach go. Yeah, probably want to do something as a group rather than splitting up, really, wouldn't you? You know, rather than kind of doing what you want to do. But I don't know. I never. I don't think it had a detrimental effect from that. Far. I think not getting paid uh, eventually probably had more of a detrimental effect. To be honest with you, but uh, yeah. Steve Steve Book, as I just mentioned, he was generally considered to be a backup replacement. Would you have preferred more competition, or are you happier when you're seen as the undisputed number one? Probably with my character, especially as it was then, that probably suited me a little bit, I think. You know, I would always, I'd like to think anyway, you probably need to ask other people, but I always like to think that I, I, you know, I pushed myself and worked as hard as I could within the footprint element of it, you know. But to Steve was great. It was kind of like having two coaches in it. I still speak to Steve now. You know, he's, he's a great guy. So I had it again as my coach, uh, Bristol Rogers, later in my career. But um, yeah, having him and Fraser. So obviously Fraser wouldn't come to games. Fraser only did like Tuesday and Thursdays. So then I, I then have Steve on a Saturday. So it's kind of like having a, a, a senior pro with me at the game. So he'd be able to give me a bit. Although he was obviously wanting to play and was obviously doing what he needed to do for himself. Yeah, yeah. I still had the opportunity to sort of bounce things back off of a senior pro. Do you know what I mean? And somebody had been there and done it. So whether that was deliberate about King or whether it was financially driven or what it was, I don't know. I think they had a kind of relationship outside of football because I think Kingy knew Bookie's uncle um, who had played himself. Uh, so I think there was that external um, connection. Uh, but no, no, it was it was it was great from that point of view. Um, that having someone like Steve uh, with me really at that time. During your town career, you have younger goalkeepers in the background, Matt Bowman, John Stewart coming through the ranks. Is it strange as a young professional, but number one, looking at these players desperately trying to get in? Given what you said about Andy King, was that, did they stand at any chance? Probably not. I mean, Bully, he, we, we, we still talk now, and, and I used to pick Bully up in the morning. I, I, for me, I think when you, I, I'd like to think if people would look over my career, the young goalkeepers that I came into contact with generally went on to do okay, you know, and I always tried to remember how Ed Hoy looked after me as a, as a youngster at Chelsea, and always tried to kind of, that was my, that example was set to me at a young age, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it was something that I always then tried to remember and emulate a little bit. So you'd have to speak to Bully, but I mean, Bully and I still speak uh, now. Unfortunately, he recently lost his dad, which was a real shame, so I'd always see, you know, see his dad and have a chat with his dad if I hadn't seen Bully and, and that sort of thing, you know. And, um, yeah, you know, and I like to think that Bully probably remembers the fact I used to pick him up and try and look after him and, 
and he was great over Alan Rowe. There were periods when he was the travelling goalkeeper. I think probably in the third season. I think if I remember rightly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know those kind of relationships are always kind of quite quite sort of special and you know you could go for years without speaking to somebody but you could then see them or bump into them or pick the phone up and it'll be like nothing's ever been any different you know I think within that kind of football people realise that life goes on and you know but that original connection and, and relationship you build is, is, is always kind of there do you know what I mean it can be picked up at, at any time you know so um, yeah I mean Bully was, was unlucky you know one of the funniest guys you'll ever probably come across you know and um if anybody wants any entertainment, just just follow him on Instagram because um, he's probably missed the vocation as a comedian somewhere in life. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit of a damp squib of a season because we win a few, lose a few, draw the rest. Let's think of some highlights here. So there's the Bristol City away because that's one of the first times we beat Bristol City for years. Putting some good stops before Henderson puts us ahead. Um, Lee Miller then essentially pushes you into the goal to allow them to equalise. I remember watching that because I was at that game and I remember being like angry because I see your reaction and you just kind of go, oh, for goodness sake, you know, but I would have been running in the face of the linesman and the uh, and the, and the referee if I would have been... Because it is a it's a pretty blatant shove looking I back really at the I footage. I can't remember that. I, have to, I can't remember that. Look back at it. I'll, I'll, send, oh, you, okay. I'll send you the link because I'm yeah. just... I'm, it's, it's a big game for fans that one so yeah, as you know so it's it's it, I'm absolutely furious but it doesn't matter because Henderson um, puts us back in the lead after losing Tommy Mooney the squad pretty much stays the same do you think it would have been similar to 2003-04 had we secured the con- uh, contract for Darius Henderson for the season I mean yeah probably do you know what I mean I think any any team is is as good as the striker, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? You know, it, it, you say that. You look at the following season and the striking partnership we go into the season with. You yeah. look at Jamie Curran. Mm. It's probably the only season in his career that he hasn't scored a hat full of goals. Do you know what I mean? I played with Curran at other clubs. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was probably the, the, the biggest disappointment, wasn't it? You know, that we couldn't get somebody who, you know, especially with somebody like following up with Sam. Super Sam, you know what I mean, and and being able to put those boards about you can kind of then forgive some other areas of the pitch if if you've got somebody you you know will give you twenty goals a season, mm-hmm. and that's that's why strikers are paid the most money because every club is looking for that one person who's going to do that, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know. And, and change the fortunes of the season. Got that lovely little comeback against Sheffield Wednesday. We're 2-0 down at home, um, and we win 3-2 late on. Um, I was away at uni at that point, and I remember watching it online on a Sky Sports video printer service, so it's just it's just the scores coming through <laughs> and just going absolutely crazy. And... No, as you say, I mean, you, you know, you sort of, it all kind of moulds into one for me a little bit, so in terms yeah. of seasons and, and when it was exactly, but I remember there being some amazing results we had there. I think mm-hmm. I remember being Forest and mm. Sheffield Wednesday, you know, and when we got it right, we got it right. Do you know what I mean? Under Kingy and, and the way he tried to play, and it's very sort of yeah, well, you know, Manana will, you know, never practice set pieces, never practice set pieces. It'll be right on the night. That kind of feeling about it, you know, and that was great. And when it clicked, it, I thought it clicked. When it didn't, it was horrendous, you know. But there was, there's, uh, you, I think that's why sometimes that period is probably looked upon. With a little bit of romanticism because it was it was a little bit like that, wasn't it? You know, it was a little bit kind of easy ozy, um, but there was some real highlights within that period. But you've got to remember at the time, Kingy was vilified a little bit, wasn't he? You know, what I mean, now it's kind of looked back on in a different sort of sense. But at the time, you know, he, he was giving pelters a lot of the time. You know, mm. giving a lot of stick, yeah. uh, unfortunately. I think I think from my perspective, the reason why that those two seasons resonate so much with me is because we just gone through a decade of complete rubbish, essentially, and and 
the three four season came out of the blue in a way and there was so much hope into that following season to build on especially as we keep a lot of the players I mean your back four doesn't change too much over the three seasons you have Sean O'Hanlon Andy Gurney David Duke Gerald Eiffel comes in and out you've got Matt Hayward and you've got Alan Reeves and Andy Nicholas's cover did you have a good working relationship with those guys yeah I think so sorry I mean yeah, I was just trying to think now. I mean, obviously, Trell, another one, you know, who 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 done great. But you know, in terms of um, Kingy's man management, you know, he, he would he would really like sometimes go for Jarrell, you know, and that he was the wrong person to do that to. Jarrell, in my opinion, was somebody you need to put the arm around, not somebody you need to sort of lambast. And you'd have Matty, who was quite a strong character, who would go back at Kingy, but then Kingy wouldn't find him or tell him he was going to find him. He would kind of take it from Matt a little bit, you know, and then you had Reeves, he was like Kingy's right-hand man, and he was a strong character as well. So the dynamic of it was quite good. You know, Sean would sort of lead by example. He wasn't a particularly loud captain as such. Like, he was one of those captains, in my opinion, that would kind of... Do you know, lead by example and, and do it right. You know, so you had quite a nice mix of different characters. Obviously, I was quite vocal. We would talk a lot from that point of view when I was playing. So yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think you know, I certainly played behind a lot worse back fours. You know what I mean in my career. So um, yeah, again, I thought it was a, it was a good platform for the for the team to sort of go from with really. You know, Hoddle and Moncair combining in the middle of the field. Now David Kersley. Good ball for Ling. Good effort. Yes! Three minutes to half time. Martin Ling's first goal of the season gives Swindon Town the lead. Season three, so season two comes to an end, and you are out of contract. Um, you turned down a move to Leeds United, I think, by signing a one-year deal with Town. Did you feel disappointed not to be offered more than that, especially given that times were quite hard with the budget being cut? We've lost Sam Parkin, Matt Hayward, Brian Howard, Sammy Higo, Matt Hewlett, David Duke, Grant Smith. Yeah, well, that, during that period when that season, that when that was, I, I, I knew how much um, Sam was getting paid, and uh, my agent at the time. So right, we're going to go in and ask for this. Fine, okay, fine. Based on this reasoning, blah blah blah, and that was that was like a, a you know light in the touch paper with Kingy, like you know, and he actually didn't collapse me that season. And it was quite an unsettled period for me. I think I made a horrendous error at Luton away, where I kind of tried to come and scoop a ball, and my elbows hit the floor first, and just kind of threw the ball up in front of me as I landed on the floor and the, the, the Luton player just walked into an empty net and um, Kingy used that alongside my you know my wage demands to kind of but he told all the lads on the bench that he was going to drop me there and then like you know and then I found out through them and then I obviously then went into Kingy and, and said you know that's not how you do this do you know what I mean you know you don't tell all the rest of the lads first and then you tell me sort of thing you know and we had quite I remember we had quite an open chat at that point like you know it was probably the first time where we probably got a lot of things off our chest you know in a lot of ways and um, he said something quite sort of I always remember it because he sort of said look you know you can be as good as I remember he said that you can be as good as Shea Gibbon that's what I think but this bang 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 is why you won't or this that and the other and I then sort of obviously had my say and it probably kind of cleared the air a little bit in some ways, you know what I mean? Because he was very rarely ever make any compliment towards me. And it was the one thing that always sticks in my mind, which was which was really nice of him to say at the time, do you know what I mean? But it was in the context of, yeah, I am dropping it, and you're not having that money, and um, get out of my office sort of thing, like, you know. So it was kind of <clears throat> a backhand compliment whilst delivering bad news at the same time, like, which is which is sort of typical of my relationship with Kingy, really, I guess, you know, so... 
And regardless of how much you are taking it, it, at that era, it's it's not guaranteed that you're getting. No, paid. no, and that was the thing. You know, that that, that was tough as uh, you know, as somebody with a with a, a young baby and that sort of thing. And that you know, that that was that was pretty tough. And other periods where I borrowed money off my grandparents just to get through the month and then have to pay them back when you got paid. And I'd forgotten about the being paid by check thing until I listened to you talking to Matt Hayward the other week. I'd forgotten about that. Um, but yeah, get paid by check, which is just ridiculous when you think about it, isn't it? But uh, yeah, it was it was tough from that point of view. As I've mentioned, we lose personalities, but as you've mentioned, we bring in a pretty okay strike force, Jamie Curtin and Tony Thorpe, who've got loads of goals um, in them historically and Tony Thorpe aside, Curtin went on to score loads of goals afterwards and still is scoring goals at the time of recording at the age of about 72. We've still got Fallon as well. Despite the slashing of the budget, did you think Town were in trouble? I don't, ever, I don't, I don't have that as a memory as such. No, yeah. I, don't, I, don't have, I don't sort of have that as a memory. I, I just kind of, my, my memory of it is it just slowly but surely kind of just unravelling and going downhill and just seeing the kind of stress levelling Kingy Ray's and that kind of that kind of inevitability about it, really, where he always felt that he was kind of battling with the ball a little bit, and they he wasn't really their man, and you know it was like kind of the first opportunity they maybe would have had that he would go. And obviously, I think there was history of that before he came and went back again, didn't he, or something like that. And I think I was injured at the time; I'd hurt my knee and I'd carried on trying to play. And then he brought Tom Heaton in, which then allowed me to have my knee up. I think it's while I was out injured that he actually went. And that's a massive personality to lose out of a football club, you know, because he's a big, big character. He was a big, big character king, you know. So that in itself had, had quite an effect because obviously if he was a very different kind of studious, more serious type of bloke, you know. So, uh, and that, that that was quite an interesting time from that point of view. If Yonora comes in to replace Andy King, uh, how was King's exit um, and Honora's appointment received amongst the squad? Hard to remember, I think obviously going by that labour in the point, you obviously had sort of Kingy's sort of nucleus as such, the guys that were quite close to him and played cards with him, golf with him and all that sort of thing. So I think they were probably more affected by it than anybody else. I think possibly from my point of view, I kind of had enough of him at that point in some ways that the constant kind of battle I felt that I was always having was kind of wearing me down a little bit, you know. So to, to have maybe Iffy come in as a little bit more structured and serious probably appealed more to my innate character as a footballer. Like you know, even to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, it's all about the detail. The devil's in the detail for me. Anything you do, so that probably appealed to me. But then at the same time, I don't think Iffy quite had the same level of respect from the players that Kingy had, but in a different sort of way, do you know what I mean? You know, as Kingy was like one of the boys and, we, you know, here we go. Whereas that necessarily didn't appeal to the the, 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 the the majority of the team from that point of view with Ify being a little bit more serious and, and sort of taking away that fun element a little bit, do you know what I mean? That if we're in a bit of a serious situation here. We need to we need to kind of screw our heads on a little bit, you know. Was the fact that if he was already at the club along with Ian Wone and Alan Reeves as well, did that have a detrimental effect then instead of someone um, coming in and dominating? Possibly, I think it was. I think from remember at the time, I think it was a bit of a strange dynamic. I think the kind of natural the natural kind of heir to the throne was probably more Reevesy than Iffy. Mm. So I think, and I think probably Reevesy thought that as well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that creates a slightly strange dynamic within it. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting time. I think probably in hindsight, probably a fresh face or a fresh voice 
might have been the best route, perhaps. But you know, we're all very clever in hindsight, aren't we? You know, so, so that's not to take away from if he, you know, if he, if he tried his best and everything he was doing, you know, it's probably a very difficult, difficult situation to, to sort of walk into, you know. So um, I think everybody was trying to do their best with the situation. Uh, but obviously, ultimately, it proved wrong, didn't it? I guess from from every point of view. Whenever Town have a season of struggle, the goalkeeper is usually recognised by being awarded the Player of the Year awards. Fraser Digby, Frank Tallis, Steve Mildenhall all get it um, in times of struggle because you guys are always, well, you don't get a rest throughout that time. You get the Player of the Year award in your final season. You keep the same amount of clean sheets. All your clean sheet ratio is pretty similar to your two previous. So you're doing your job under helpless circumstances. Yeah, you know what? I've had people in my... I think just after I'd left Swindon as well, you get, that, you get that usual sort of one, oh, wow, yeah, you know, goalkeeper should never be winning the player of the year award. That's ridiculous. And that, that used to really annoy me, like, really annoy me. Uh, it's something like, uh, as I said to you before, I've got my cabinet, you know, of my bits, and, and, and my, my player of the year award sit underneath my England caption. And I think to, to have won those for my hometown club, voted for by, you know, local Swindonians like myself is something I'm, I'm really proud of. Do you know what I mean? You know, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I mean, I won a few other Player of the Year awards, fortunately, at other clubs later in my career. But the Swindon ones do definitely hold a real sort of special place in in in, in, my, in my heart, so to speak. Was it an easy decision to leave? No, not at all. And, and this is the other thing that kind of always kind of bugs me. You know, when people can be bothered to talk about it, not it's probably something they think about that often. But you know, I I did everything I could to stay. You know, let, let's just clear that up right now. I did everything I could to stay. I was in full dialogue with Mark Devlin. I made him aware of the offers that I had. I told him the, I told him exactly what Blackpool had offered me. I said, look, if you can get anywhere near this, I will stay. I want to stay. Dennis Wise gets given the job. It took him two weeks to call me. Two weeks, you know. For me, if, if you're going into a club and you're looking at your team, your squad, and you look at who's just won the Player of the Year award, and the fact that I knew him from Chelsea before, that told me all I needed to know, really, do you know what I mean? And I'd try and ring Mark Devlin, and he would phone me back. So I ended up just going down Brown and surprising him, walked into his office. And I said, you know, and just, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? You know, you're not returning my calls. And it was a bit it was a bit of a joke, really, to be honest. You know, because Mark Devlin had signed me, I'd always had quite a good relationship with him. And he was obviously quite taken aback and I just bowled into his office, you know. And uh, that was just kind of how I felt, you know what I mean? You know, you, you, I've, I've, I've tried my best here for the last three years to do as good a job as I can and given it, you know, as the 100% all the time. And I think it just kind of, the, the principle of it really in the end was what kind of made my mind up, do you know what I mean? You know, and um, I had a telephone conversation with Dennis Wise in the end and he said, well, look, you know, I'm not going to have you hold a gun to me. I said, I'm not trying to hold a gun to your head. I just want what I think is right, do you know what I mean? You know, and I think what's fair, this is what I'm being offered. And he said, well, look, you're not going to go hold a gun to me. You do what you got to do sort of thing, you know. And I thought, oh, well, you know. Mm. There you go. And ultimately, the, the Blackpool move was the wrong one, you know, and I, I, I will regret that to my last breath, you know. Now, Ferry to the byline. Devita! They have turned it around. Simon Ferry to the byline, and he had the presence of mind to pick out Rafael Devita. What went wrong at Blackpool then? Um... It was just a horrible club. Um, everything about it was was just horrible. Um, from the front, from the lady who sat on the front desk to the groundsman, to you know, just just unwelcoming people. Like, do you know what I mean? Just never felt so unwelcome in my life. Um, the chairman, um, obviously, is now 
sort of quite well documented as to who he is and the type of character is he he um, stitched me up out of money out of um, relocation money that I was told I was going to get and didn't get that left me you know sort of out of pocket to the tune of several thousand pounds it just I, I'm I'm very principled sort of person you know and, uh, from the point of view that you know if you if you take the mic and you sort of uh, that's I'm done do you know what I mean you know so within kind of a month I was kind of in my head I'm like I'm done with this already you know which maybe I should have sort of approached a bit of a different attitude towards it to a certain extent but it, it just kind of got from the wrong foot and never really recovered never felt welcome there you know I played the first couple of games and I, I did really well but well again what I didn't realise was is their goalkeeper had won the player of the year like I had the season before so to my mind the fact they wanted to sign me told me that he was moving and he wasn't he stayed so I felt like walked into a club and played straight from the start of the season so these fans are just waiting for me to like make a mistake so they can I put me in a pop at the club because I've, I've just replaced their player of the season. So yeah, so it was you know we moved to the wrong area. I I, I moved too far away from Blackpool and um, yeah, it, it was just a big lesson really, and and, and a lesson I've always remembered and, and always then from there onwards have tried to stick with my instincts on things, which is fast forward sort of ten years later why I decided to stop playing mm. and, and and stop because my instincts told me that the job opportunity I had on the table was was a good one and it was time to call it a nice sort of thing you know so are you dis- yeah. are you disappointed with how the post-Swindon career went in the sense that you were a number one mainstay at Swindon and then you go to Blackpool, you are number one, you get injured and then you lose your place at a time where Blackpool are kicking on and they go up through the playoffs, I think. And then yeah. you go to Millwall and you fulfil the objective to keep them up. You go to Bradford, play almost every game, um, but then you're released due to budget cuts. You go to Bristol Rovers, you cover and... You go, you 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 have to go through trials instead of earning those contracts just because on the basis that you are former player of the year, Reese Evans. Is, yeah. is that is that tough for you looking back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think ultimately that's probably what led to the decision to just stop. You know, because I, I the frustration within me just built and built. Um, Millwall was the one. Millwall was the one for me where I was signed in. I got rescued from from Blackpool, and that's the only time in my career I ever kind of played up and, and was deliberately difficult to kind of engineer a move out of there do you know what I mean you know I just kind of thought well the way you treat me on, on as a whole you know you don't I, I need to get out of it and I've got to do that by whatever means possible you know so I, I, I was deliberately difficult and awkward and which is not necessarily something I'm particularly proud of but that was kind of the, the level I felt about it do you know what I mean so I go to Millwall um, signed by Kenny Jacket, who was the assistant manager at QPR when I went on loan there as a kid. Now, Kenny Jacket is somebody that I've got a good bit of respect for now, but I played, I think, from the January, got man of the match in my first game at home to Nottingham Forest. I started great. So I think, right, here we go. I'm, 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 you know, this is my chance to res- resurrect my career here, you know, and I think I worked out they were averaging like 1.8 goals per game conceded before I got there. It then was like 0.9 of a goal per game in the 21 games I played between January and the end of the season I'd kept like seven clean sheets and we avoided relegation I got asked to go into a meeting with um, Kenny Jacket and I'm thinking and he told my agent um, 10 games for the end of the season yeah Reese has done great you know we'll obviously be looking to talk to him about a contract etc you know let's just get the survival done and we'll talk at the end of the season so I'm walking into this meeting thinking right oh, okay what's he going to offer me what am I going to accept just really on a high, you know, because I love playing and there's a great atmosphere. Brilliant. Uh, to then walk in and say, yeah, actually, we're going to go and sign somebody else. 
that was probably one of the lowest points I've, I've had in all honesty you know because it was just a massive kick in, in the proverbial you know and that uh, wasn't what I was expecting to happen um, and that then again you know people I guess people then go well why is he being released what's you know that sort of thing you know and it has that black mark against you again you know um, go to uh, Bradford I loved it at Bradford 13,000 fans every week because they charged got half price for season tickets I loved playing for Stuart McCoy Nigel Martin was my goalkeeper coach brilliant like an ex-England international somebody to bounce ideas off of and talk to just brilliant like you know and again we missed the playoffs by three points uh, we had a game called off live on Sky and then anybody on more than a certain amount of money per week has to go and I'm in that bracket just just, just you know you sort of think oh god like you know just, just need a bit of a break here like do you know what I mean you know and um yeah, just and it never really recovered from that point onwards, unfortunately. No, you even, I mean, by the time you're 30, you're playing for a little bit of Staines Town. And I remember when you joined Staines thinking, I mean, I don't know what your injury background was at the time. I didn't know, you know, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You just think, surely there's somebody else out there. Well, for a if you remember, I'd, I'd come in and was training with town. Yeah. I was, I was back in training. I got a phone call from the chairman at the time. I don't know what the guy's name is now. Jeremy. Ray? Yeah. Yeah. So, get to, you know, I hear you're obviously uncontracted, but I'd, I'd had to have a knee operation uh, earlier at the end of that summer. And I was out of contract. So I was back to living in my nan's house with my nan and the, the, my ex-wife and my son. Um, just because we had to try and, you know, cost, cut our costs and save money because I was living off savings because I had no income. And I kept getting this repetitive problem in my thigh. And I thought that I, I actually thought I was going to have to retire at that point. Because I, I'd been training with town and obviously Mr. Canio. And um, again, now you think, oh, you know, this is a great opportunity see, to come home and and I started trying, but again, this problem in my thigh kept flaring up. But I think ultimately, I probably wouldn't have lasted very long under, under Paolo De Canio because, I mean, what a strange guy. You know, what a very, very odd bloke he is. You know, really, really odd. Um, Why is he odd? I think he's bipolar, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the things I saw going on there and seeing the players who were there at the time, I'm just thinking, oh my God, like, you know, I, I, I don't think I could cope with that. Do you know what I mean? The games he would play and just a general way of doing things like you know what did you see players where we had to sit for food and the training methods and the team going up to go on the cope and players being left out of it and this that and the other and it was just all very very mm-hmm. odd very very odd you know and, and um, thinking like this this is a very odd setup do you know what I mean you know and um, yeah I, I, as much as I loved it I don't I don't think I would have lasted very long under the Canyon to be honest with you uh, probably not a, a great deal of that that sort of 03 04 team would have would have would have lasted under him uh, without a doubt you know I think any strong character wouldn't wouldn't have fared well under under Paolo you're in your early 30s when it, it really becomes it's the end of your career and that's the time where goalkeepers have the have the advantage over the outfield players because you thrive and really have that they've got five, six, seven years left in them is it disappointing that it was beginning to wind down quite early well my last season I played I played for Hereford um, it was my first season in the conference and what I found was I was playing games and there was just no adrenaline there you know it was just like oh god this is Mm. and I and I'm not trying to sound you know Aaron obviously what I've been used to you know you're used to certain things happening in certain ways and you know, like the even things like the footballs they used were awful. The referees were terrible. 
the grounds were terrible and it was just the people I was surrounded by on a daily basis. You know, again, we went into a period of not getting paid. And, and I was playing with guys who were up all night playing poker online in America. Do you know what I mean? Coming into training and barely being awake. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're in this relegation battle. I then got injured. And unfortunately, the medical support that was available wasn't great. So that got exacerbated. And then I came back, played three games, playing really well, and then landed awkwardly and hurt my shoulder. And I remember just being sat in the changing room after having to come off at half time and just realise. I just, I think, I, you know, people you hear people say they just know. I just knew it was over. Uh, I think that's probably the only time I've had a really sort of like, I don't know, like shed a tear really. But I just kind of knew. I just, like, I just sat there. I think I phoned um, my ex-wife and just said, I think that's it. You know, I think that's that's. Uh, that's, that's the end of it, really. It was only later on that kind of caught up with me, I think, that kind of whole not playing anymore. At the time, I think I was ready for it. I think I'd been involved in it from such a young age. Competitively, I think it kind of, I was just kind of worn out in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? You know, that, that I think it just kind of beat me up and I was just kind of on the ropes at the end of it, really, unfortunately. Paul Bowden from the spot for Swindon. He scored! now um, the goalkeeper coach of the new Hereford or the reformed Hereford side yeah yeah. Um, uh, so I've done that for the last three I think my fourth season doing that now so I stopped playing obviously then we're still due owed money by Hereford and obviously the chap who was in, briefly involved with Swindon to try to get involved with Hereford although I tried to warn the chairman at the time to stay well away he didn't listen to me anyway uh, the club obviously then folded and then I was sat actually in a in a bar in Swindon um, one evening after I'd started my, my new career and um, my phone was ringing and it was Pete Beadle who had been caretaker at the end of my time of playing at Hereford uh, then been asked to take over in the newly formed Hereford the Phoenix Hereford as such mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's quite you sort of my phone was ringing I picked the phone I went I'm not playing I just put the phone down and um <laughs> He then phones. He's like, no, 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 no. I want you to come and coach me. Can you come and come and help me? I need you to help, like, you know, because he'd seen me working with the young goalkeepers at Hereford when I was injured at the end of that time there, and um, I think they respected me for what I'd done with these young goalkeepers. And um, it's kind of gone from there, really. You know, I, I, I don't really get paid for doing it. It's just kind of it's probably the only time of the week on a Thursday when I feel normal again. You know what I mean? You know, when I'm out there, my gloves on. And and try and impart what I what I learned over over my sort of twenty years, you know. And I, I try and approach it from I'm the coach that I wish I'd always had, you know. And I had glimpses of having some great coaches, but never had any sustained period of time. There's some there's some really bad goalkeeper coaches out there, you know, who work at some some high level clubs. And you know, there's there's plenty of trainers, and I think the majority of them are trainers. There's not many coaches, you know. There's not many that can kind of dissect what you're doing and tell you why you're doing something incorrectly. Um, and that was always my big my big frustration um, as a player, unfortunately. So I, I try and do it right, and I try and, um, you know, I'm tough with them, and I push them. Because I think the last thing I've learned in recent years since I've left football is until you get yourself out of your comfort zone, you, that's when you really learn about yourself, you know. Um, so that's what I try and do, is get them out of their comfort zone and push them. And, and we sold a young goalkeeper to Oxford last year, and I was really proud of that, you know, really, really proud that we... I'd had a hand in sort of helping that and the effort of the young goalkeeper Max combined was something I was really, really proud of, you know. And it sounds like you're a, you're like a student of the game in, in your coaching methods. Is it something that you would go into in the future? Oh, no, I mean, funny enough, I, I, 
Yeah, um, I've, I've spoken to a couple of clubs who approached me in, in sort of the, the off season this year about going in there, but you know, in my career now working with Porsche, I'm in quite a good position. You know, I've got a certain amount of job security. Give that up mm-hmm. to go back into the football world, where there is no job security, not much loyalty. It would have to be a pretty special offer for me to do that thing. And I haven't got my coaching badges. Unfortunately, that was something I missed the boat on when I was playing, uh, which is probably a, a, another regret of mine, uh, alongside the Blackpool move. Uh, so that will restrict me. But who knows? You know, it may be something that comes around in the future. Uh, but it's something I'm definitely working on and learning all the time um, at the moment with, with Hereford and, and the goalkeepers that I've got there. Looking back at your Swindon career, um, what do you look back with most fondness? Who were your pals during that time? Are you still in touch with them? I mean, look, you know, I think anybody would be lying if, if you had a few thousand people stood behind you chanting your name. You know, when it's your hometown, it's people from the same place that you grew up in. That's pretty special, you know, whoever you are. Um, it's something that would always probably get the hairs in the back of my neck standing up if I sat thought about it. Pals, when I was there, we spent a fair bit of time with Sean O'Hanlon. Our respective partners were, were friends at the time, um, so we would probably socialise a, a fair bit together. Um, obviously, Bully, because we spent a lot of time together on the training pitch, and obviously, I still see him now when I go back home, and you know, we interact on a bit of social media occasionally as well. So, I'm always keen to know that he's okay and his family's well, and, and that's probably about it, really. You know, and I said, I, I you see people within football. I saw Reevesy recently at a, a, a non-league game. I watched Hereford at, at Farnborough. He's now working at Wimbledon. I saw him there and had a good chat with him and, and, and caught up with him. You know, and obviously I, I went on holiday a couple of years ago. And Matt Haywood was staying in the same hotel. So things like that. You know, it's a small world. Obviously, Sam Parkin. You know, he's obviously doing great for himself with sort of media stuff. And, spoken to him a few times and that you know so the football world's very transient isn't it you know so you sort of bump into people speak to people and again I saw Kenny in the last couple of years of my playing career and it was great you know and probably when you're out of that thing of being manager and player you know he walked up to me and gave me a hug and it's probably the closest I've ever felt to him in, in the whole time I've known him like, do you know what I mean that was so that's quite nice that my last memory of Kenny the last time I saw him was he actually gave me a hug you know and it's really sad, you know, what happened to him. So I think there's lots of nice things, you know. That, that it's probably a period of my career when I was probably at my happiest, professionally and personally, you know. So it, it's something that um, I'll always look back on with probably quite a lot of affection. And are you still a fan? Oh, yeah, yeah, without doubt, yeah. Um, always looking at the results, obviously watching the highlights of Crawley this morning when I was uh, having a cup of tea. But, um, yeah, I mean... You, for me, I don't know how other people, I think for me, until they develop the ground or move the ground and they have corporate facilities and they have a ground that can work for them seven days a week, not just on a Saturday afternoon or a, a, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. You know, you look at all the main, you look what having a new ground did for Reading, you know, and Swansea and people like that. That for me is what the, the, the town needs it and the team needs it. They need somebody in there with a bit of football now to, to, to run it properly and probably, you know, an ex-player, and you see that Alan McLaughlin is involved with the, with the youth set, that's brilliant. For me, that's perfect. Somebody who has played and succeeded with the club who can then pass that experience and, and kind of can project that onto the youth coming through, you know, that, that of what the club's about and what it's done and what it, what it needs to achieve again. You know, I think any club needs that. And they need to do more to get ex-players or ex-town players involved with the club. 
um, to sort of promote it and, 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 and push it on again. Do you know what I mean? You know, that, that for me is what I think it needs, but obviously I'm sure people have their own opinions. Reese Evans, thank you very much. No problem. Try the box to Monkey. Good run by him.